into chapter uh, 13, and it's this next section regarding spiritual gifts. 12, 13, and 14 are all about spiritual gifts. And this chapter 13, it's not isolated. It's not out of context. It's not an out of context chapter in love in the midst of something strange. It is a central part of Paul's teaching with regard to spiritual gifts. It's a central part of Paul's teaching to the church at Corinth. Chapter 12, as we know, starts with Paul stating that he doesn't want the Corinthians to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. God's word and God now doesn't want us to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Uh, And Paul lays a a foundation uh, about this in chapter 12. And at the end of chapter 12, he, he exhorts, he has this charge, he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And that's when we flip into this chapter 12, and this, so it's chapter 13, and this chapter 13 is looking at the more excellent way. And the more excellent way is all about love. All about love, and as I endeavoured to explain last week, that this word love that's here is, is not uh, a form of, of love that we are so used to. In English we just have the, the, the one real word for love, Back then they had several words, and this one is from agape. And agape is a a divine, God-inspired love. And and the actual word itself is is a verb, it's in verb form, so it's an action. And so there's an action going on here. This agape love transforms and transverses and transcends this world. And this chapter 13 is telling us that the excellent way is all about love. The more excellent way is demonstrated by an equation, as we said last week. If minus but equals nothing. So he starts off by saying, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. And then he goes on to talk about the higher gifts if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love equals nothing. And then the society standard, so the Corinthian standard of tongues, which was so important to them, Paul's standard, the higher gifts, the, the, the gifts that were for the edification of the church, And then society standards, society of sacrificial giving. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, and have not love, I am, or I have gained nothing. And then there's a trinity, three times. Staggering gifts. Gifts that meant so much to so many different people. And Paul's saying that these gifts without love are nothing. So the more excellent way is all around love, this agape love. And then last week we looked into this love in a little bit of depth by looking at Jesus' example. We see this excellent way of love, powered spiritual gift, demonstrated by Jesus in so many different ways. And you go through the Gospels and time and time again you see Jesus demonstrating these spiritual gifts in different forms, and it's always in love. 
And none of the, the spiritual gifts were, were more impressive, were more important than the Lord Jesus Christ giving up his own life. Giving it up, yielding it, making that gift. As that verse 3 talks about, if I deliver my body up to be burned, the Lord Jesus Christ delivered up his body to be crucified. And he did it in love and that spiritual gift of giving and ultimately giving of himself is explained to us in Romans 5 and verse 6. For while we were still weak, talking about us, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then going on to verse 8, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love being demonstrated in the gift of his son. Christ's love being demonstrated in his gift of giving up his life for us. And in doing all this while we were still ungodly, while we were still weak, God did this. His love did this. And so the question we asked ourselves last week, and I want to ask yourselves again this week, is do you know God's love for yourself? Do you realize that Christ's crucifixion on the cross was out of love for his people? Are you one of his people? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? The verse there tells us that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet weak, while we were ungodly, that's our problem. That's how we come into the world. We come into the world weak and ungodly and sinners. We come into the world as enemies with God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, out of God's, driven by God's love and out of his love for us too, he died to pay the price for the sins of his people. And those of us that know that, those of us that have called upon the name of the Lord, those of us that have repented, those of us that believe we are now part of God's family, and we know that love for ourselves. That this love that is talked here is the foundation of our faith. We talk about faith, we talk about hope, and this passage goes on to talk about faith and hope, and it comes out of this love. Our faith is because of Christ's love. Our faith is because of God's love. Our hope is because God loved us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. This is God's love and it fuels our faith and our hope. Now this passage 13 goes on to talk about those verses that we know so well, the verses that are so often quoted, the verses, like I said last week, that are Instagrammable, the screensavers, posters, uh, little trinkets around your house about love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, and there's those different attributes of love, different attributes of this agape love. And as I was driving home last week, uh, Rachel was saying to me, we didn't get there yet, this is what she wants to hear. This is what we all want to hear, but we're not going to get there yet. We need to take another step, so I'm sorry. If you thought that today was all about these verses, next week, we'll get there. This week has something so, so important for us to, to grasp and understand. 
And then that's this question that comes to my mind, and maybe it's come to your mind. Paul said, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And we know that love is this excellent way. But I want to ask the question, why is love the more excellent way? Why is love the more excellent way? And to get a better understanding of this more excellent way, it's going to be helpful for us to define the gifts and the operations of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to share with you this morning four categories of gifts. And as we see these four categories of gifts, it will then be able to help us understand why love is the more excellent way. And then some of this will be revision for some of the things that we've said and mentioned when we're going through chapter 12. So you'll have heard some of these things before, so don't be surprised. But we need to hear it now in the context of this question, why is love the more excellent way? In chapter 12, Paul gives two lists of spiritual gifts, doesn't he? We know that elsewhere in the Bible there are other lists of uh, spiritual gifts. And uh, from these uh, uh, spiritual gifts, and the spiritual gifts are also mentioned in this chapter 13, in the first three verses, they are to, uh, to, to, to give an idea of what's happening in context of the more excellent way of love. And the spiritual gifts, these spiritual gifts that are talked about in, in chapter 12, and are given as examples in 13 and uh, further talked about in chapter 14, they can be distinguished, they can be divided into two sorts, ordinary gifts and extraordinary gifts. Ordinary and extraordinary. So we're going to have four categories, and the first two that I want to mention, we've mentioned this before, is extraordinary and ordinary. So briefly, I want to talk about extraordinary. These are the ones that the Corinthians liked. The Corinthians got excited by tongues. They were obsessed by tongues. And I think a lot of the teaching we have here is because of this obsession they had with the extraordinary gifts. The extraordinary gifts are the revelatory and authoritative, authoritative gifts like prophecy, like apostles. The supernatural ones connected to their ministry, healings and miracles. Extraordinary, supernatural, things that don't happen every day of the week. Things that are totally and utterly out of the ordinary. God speaking, thus says the Lord, is extraordinary. It doesn't happen every day. It happened at times in the history of the church. And there were extraordinary gifts. And they were given for a purpose we thank God for them. We thank God for how we see extraordinary things happen now. Miracles and healings. We give God the glory for them. And then there's ordinary gifts. And there's an example of an ordinary gift in this chapter 13. In chapter 13 it talks about tongues, men and angels. It talks about prophetic powers. But then it talks about giving. If I give away all I have. The spiritual gift of giving is an ordinary gift. It's an ordinary thing. When it's, when it's done like this, it is extraordinary in some ways, but it's an ordinary thing in that we all are capable and potentially being able to do it as human beings. 
In the last chapter, chapter 12, we saw that, in verse 28, we saw that teaching and helping and administration, these are all ordinary gifts. These are gifts given to the church, and people are particularly gifted and able in those ways. And, and we know that when the churches were looking for elders, they were to look for people who had that gift of teaching. And, and we know that when you are looking for uh, getting people involved in church life, you're looking for those that can be involved in administration, helping and giving, and so many, so many different ways. They're ordinary. And we see examples of them around the church now. And we should delight in them, and we should give thanks to them. They're a gift from God to the church for the edification of the church. And as we saw a couple of weeks back, often these ordinary gifts can be used for the higher gift. So the, the, the way there's interaction with the, the media team, ordinary gifts, they allow the teaching of the word to be heard by you. They allow the teaching of the word to be heard by others online. They allow the teaching of the word to be saved and recorded. And this ordinary gift of, 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 of administration and of the media team is helping them, keeping the church clean, allowing us a, a, an environment which is conducive to worship and hearing God's word preached. is all working towards the, the higher gift. And so we, we should praise God for the ordinary gift. We should pray God, praise God for all that he has done. Now we know that these gifts, be they extraordinary or ordinary, are not the more excellent way. That they're not the more excellent way. Uh, and we know that they're not the more excellent way because at the end of chapter 12, after Paul has described these ordinary and extraordinary gifts, as he's spoken about them being given by the Holy Spirit uh, for the benefit of the church, as he brings that to the head, he then says that I will show you a still more excellent way. The excellent way is not in chapter 12. There's important truth there. The spiritual gifts are outlined. And so the extraordinary gifts and the ordinary gifts are not the more excellent way. And so we need to make another distinction. And another distinction to help us understand this. And I want to make an observation about ordinary and extraordinary gifts that will help us with this next distinction. So this is an observation about ordinary and extraordinary gifts. Friends, great, great care needs to be taken because spiritual gifts be they ordinary or extraordinary are not a sign or a guarantee of salvation I want to say that again because it might become a bit of a shock you might think this is not right let's just listen spiritual gifts both ordinary and extraordinary are not a sign or guarantee of salvation. Or should I say, a guaranteed sign of salvation. That's probably a better way of putting it, actually, forgive me. And not a guaranteed sign of salvation. Now, now this is a very heavy statement. And I want to show you this from the Bible. I'm not making this up. Jesus, when he was teaching from on the, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, 
he gives a warning about false prophets. And then he goes on to say this in Matthew 7 and verse 21. And these are haunting words, and these are frightening words. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, that's the last day, the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I then will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Spiritual gifts, both ordinary and extraordinary, are not a guaranteed sign of salvation. Jesus was talking there about people coming to him on the day of judgment and saying, we did this in your name. We did these mighty works in your name. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's frightening. It's solid. And the healthy way, as we hear these words, is with self-examination. Prophecy, miracles, casting out demons, mighty works, have all come to nothing. I want to flesh this out still further. An example from the Old Testament was someone like King Saul. At times he prophesied, he demonstrated charismatic gifts, but in his disobedience and rebellion against God, it led to his tragic, tragic end. And Balaam, in the Old Testament, he prophesied. And it says that he brought God's word to the people. But the New Testament commentary is about is less than a flashing example of what he was about. In 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 15, it talks about these people going the wrong way, forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. You followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Judas, in the New Testament, was one of the twelve. And as one of the twelve, he was one of those who was sent out to do miracles. Matthew 10 and verse 7 tells us about this. Jesus is preparing his twelve to go out. And he says, and proclaim to them as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In a teaching work, a teaching gift, a teaching there. And then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pay, without give, without Judas went out. We have every reason to believe that Jesus, sorry, Judas healed the sick, and Judas cleansed the lepers, and Judas cast out demons. And we all know 
the end of Judas. Spiritual gifts, both ordinary and extraordinary, are not a guaranteed sign of salvation. Don't look to them for confirmation of salvation. That's not a confirmation of salvation. It's, it's not what it's all about. And, and we see the exact opposite of Jesus' example. And, and we see a fulfillment of this from Paul's formula. In, in, this formula is sets out if minus equals nothing. If extraordinary gifts, but minus love, it equals nothing. Nothing. Great care needs to be taken, friends. The, the spiritual gifts, the ordinary and the extraordinary, are not a guaranteed sign of salvation. And as these ordinary and extraordinary gifts are not the more excellent way, we need to look at a distinction that helps us to understand what is going on and I want to introduce the thought of common gifts and saving gifts of the Holy Spirit. Common gifts of the Holy Spirit and saving gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, so we're seeing there are spiritual gifts and they are given to believers. They are both Ordinary and extraordinary, but spiritual gifts can also be manifest by non-believers, by people who don't know the Lord as their Savior. Now, common gifts, as I want to describe them, are the works of the Holy Spirit that are both in believer and unbeliever alike. This world is not as dark and as wicked as it could be. Some of you here have been blessed with kind-hearted landlords. Some of you haven't. We're not talking about that. But a lot of you have had kind-hearted landlords. Some of you have had employers that have been generous. Some of you haven't, but there have been generous employers. There have been kind-hearted people. But the reason there is not as much wickedness here as there could be is because the Holy Spirit has given common gifts around to every man. Common gratitude, please and thank you, graces like that, sorrow, kindness, care and compassion, they're all a demonstration in the common grace of everyday life. And the world, as I say, is not as dark and as wicked as it could be because of this. And we realize that, that talents and skills are given by the Holy Spirit. And you may remember back in Exodus when they were building the tabernacle. In Exodus 31, the first six verses there, there's a passage of the Lord calling out to Moses and saying that he'd set this gentleman aside. And he'd been filled with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence and knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze. 
And it goes on to talk about he's given ability to all able men and the ability that they may have all that I have commanded you. And God gives us skills and gifts through the Holy Spirit and the fact that we can put a, a, a rocket on the moon is because God's Holy Spirit has given people gifts and the fact that we have technology that works is because the Holy Spirit has given gifts and the fact we have beautiful art around about that we can enjoy is because the Holy Spirit has worked and the world isn't as bad as it could be because of God's common grace manifest through the Holy Spirit in giving these common gifts to believer and unbeliever alike. We should thank God for that. But then there's saving gifts. So it's common gifts. And everyone can appreciate and benefit from those as the Holy Spirit sees. But saving gifts are the work of the Holy Spirit exclusively experienced and seen by the believer, by the Christian. Saving gifts are the work of the Holy Spirit, but the only people that benefit from them, the only people that receive saving gifts are believers who are born again, believers who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. And we saw this in the last chapter, we saw this distinction then between the gift of saving faith and the, the gift, the spiritual gift of faith. Saving faith is what we need for salvation. Saving faith is what every believer has. Every believer who's trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour, everyone who's come to faith in that way has been given saving faith. But, and, and we, can, we can see that and quote that from somewhere like Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, through faith. And it's not your own doing, it is a gift of God. All believers have faith, and this faith is not something we've made up ourselves. This faith is a gift of God. But the spiritual gift of faith is an extraordinary gift. It is a gift which is illustrated in chapter 13 of, of, of 1 Corinthians 2. It talks about a faith that's able to move mountains. And the spiritual gift is limited to those whom the Holy Spirit seems fit to give it to. But the gift of faith, saving faith, is for all believers. And so now we've set out these different types of gifts. I want to bring you this statement that helps us to understand why love is the more excellent way. Love is a saving gift from the Holy Spirit. Love is a saving gift from the Holy Spirit to believers and to believers alone. You see, love is what motivated God to save us. We said this last week, and most of you have learned this off by heart. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only son. Why? For whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is the motivation of this gift of the son? It is love. Our salvation was motivated by God's love. And God's love is what made, enabled him to give his only son. 
And God's love and the Son's love is what enabled the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to give His life. This love was demonstrated before time. It's part of God's sovereign will in Ephesians 1, that first, the reading we had earlier today in, in verse 4. At the end of it, it says, in love. In love, what did God do? He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We've been predestined. We've been brought into his family. We've been adopted. We've been adopted to himself through Christ Jesus. Jesus has made the way. And what has motivated all of this? In love. In love, a steadfast love, an everlasting love, a never failing love, a love that was before time, a love that has never had a beginning and a love that has never had an end, a love that comes from God himself. And that love is what chose us, predestined us, brought us into adoption. When we think of adoption now, it's it's a bit like this. A husband and wife may have a conversation and say, we want to adopt somebody. And, and they'll go to the, the orphanage, they'll go to the, the, the social worker, and, and they'll chat with them, and then they, they may get a choice, or they may be told this one is suitable, or, or whatever the situation is. But there'll be a time when a decision was made for that adoption to take place. And, and probably before, there's a lot of thought and deliberation no, we don't know what happened before time began, but what we do know is God has chosen us and predestined us for adoption. And we know that the motivation was love. He, he loved us. And He loved us when He still knew exactly what we'd be like. You see, there's some horrendous stories about how some people have adopted a child, brought them into their family, and that child's been a monster. He's practically wrecked off. She's wrecked the family and caused all sorts of problems. And can you imagine that? The adopted parents thinking, I wish we'd never done that. That was a mistake. If only we'd known about it beforehand. We'd never have done that. God knows your beforehand. He knows the mess that you are. And yet still out of love, he sent his only son, his only son to do his will so that we could be made right with God. Our salvation is motivated by God's love. And it is to His glory. But but friends, we we think of that salvation, we think of God's love there. But there's much more to the gift, the saving gift of love, than just God being motivated for our salvation. There's much more to it than that. That is huge. That is immense. But love is a saving gift that we receive from the Holy Spirit at salvation. Or or to put it another way, all true believers are given the gift of love by the Holy Spirit. Last week we read from Romans in in chapter 5 and I want to read the first uh, five verses, and we're going to concentrate on the fifth verse, and that's the one that's going to come up on the screen. So, if you've got your Bibles, you might want us to follow the ones before. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, 
We know faith is a gift for us, don't we? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we can have peace with God is through Jesus, because Jesus has made the way. He's justified us. He's made it as if we've never sinned. And so through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why does hope not put us to shame? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Are you following this? This is just mind-blowing. At our salvation, when the Holy Spirit works in our lives and shows us our sin, when we call upon the name of the Lord and when we're saved, God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is, this is like almost mind-blowing. Yes, faith makes it as peace with God. And faith brings an eternal hope to us. And we have this hope. Why do we have this hope? Because God's love, God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Yes, God sent His Son to die on the cross. And that was motivated by love. But more than that, he didn't just leave it there. He meant that this love that was demonstrated in the, 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 the sending of his son is also that same love that is poured into our hearts. God, who is love, has shown us his love by deciding before time began that his son, his only son, would give his life as a ransom for us so that we would not only receive salvation and be at peace with God, but God's love itself would be poured into our hearts. That's astounding, friends. And each one of you here who is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that love has been poured into your hearts. That gift of love, that gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured there. Why is love the more excellent way? Because we are saved by love. And we are saved to love. We're saved by love. And we are saved to love. And of ourselves we can't love. But we can, friends, because God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the saving gift of the Holy Spirit has poured out love into our hearts. I'm almost thinking you should get a warm, fuzzy, glowing feeling from that. That I should be making you sense something. God, the eternal, the almighty, the perfect, the righteous, whatever those attributes you bring to your mind, and then yourself, and how you've sinned and fallen short of its glory. Not only have you been saved by love, but you've been saved to love, and you can love, because his love is poured into your hearts. Someone asked Jesus the question, which commandment is the most important of all? In Matthew, no, sorry, Mark 12. And in verse 30, he brings the answer and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That is God's standard for us. And you may say, this is too much. Yes, it is too much for us. But God saved us by love, saved us to love, and the Holy Spirit has poured that love into our hearts. So we can do this. You can love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with everything, your whole soul, because the Holy Spirit has poured God's love into you. You can love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, the landlord who cheated you out of money. Yes, the course advisor who's looking for making your life difficult. Yes, that person who stole your parking space every day. Or whatever it is, you can love them. Because Christ's love, God's love is in you because the Holy Spirit has poured it out into you. And then there's this, there's no greater commandment than these. And we think, how can we do them? Because we miss the more excellent way. This love has been given to us. Isn't it amazing? What, what commandment is most important? What's the most important part of our Christian walk? There's no mention of spiritual gifts here. There's no mention of great things. There's a mention of a really great thing. To love the Lord your God with all your heart. And seeing that demonstrated in love to your neighbor as yourself. Paul's letter to the Galatians underlines this principle of the importance of love. In chapter 5, it's, it's a slightly different subject, but the, the context and the application is the same. In chapter 5, in verse 5, he says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but... Only faith working through love. Do you see the connection? Neither circumcision or uncircumcision. They were the big deal of the day. That's what they put so much effort and thought into. He says they count for nothing. They count for nothing. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. If we love God, we will love one another. If we love God, we will love our enemies. If we love God, we will love the lost. If we love God, we will use our spiritual gifts in the right way. The church at Corinth were beginning it wrong. They hadn't been using their spiritual gifts in the right way because love, the more excellent way, had been taken out of the equation. And then the church now is missing out on so much because we've lost sight of the importance of God's love. 
Now, yes, we have an overemphasis on a, a mushy application of, of God's love in salvation, but what we really need to understand is this gift, this spiritual gift, has been given to us, it's been poured out in our hearts and our lives, and it is for everyday practical situations, yeah? God's love is not just something He has done for us, He's something He's doing in us. And because He's done it in us, it should manifest out of us. And for so many believers, signs and wonders have become so important. Or maybe in other churches, orthodoxy and having all the theology absolutely right has become the big deal. Or perhaps in other churches, it's the version of the Bible or the stained glass window or whatever it is. And we're being robbed of what is so vital, and that is love. Love is what should be running through us. And, and we're neglecting this gift of love. And friends, this very gift of love has been given to every, every believer. It's a saving gift. And you see so many people are wondering, oh, what's my spiritual gift? You've been given love. That love should be bubbling out. The spiritual gifts will look after themselves. The higher way. The greater way. The more excellent way. Is to be rooted and grounded in love. Walking in love. Let the other stuff look after itself. And it will do. Can you imagine how many of the church's problems in the world would be sorted out like that if that gift of love was embraced and used and loved and cared for and cherished? This church is, this church is splitting in COVID time. To mask or not to mask? That is the question. This church is fighting now over what colour carpet to have in England. There's church members envying and fighting and vying for position over spiritual gifts. And Jesus knew what this love would be like. And Jesus said to his disciples in John 13 and 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this, all people shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We pray for revival on Tuesdays. But we need love on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Because it's when a church loves as Christ loves his church that the world looks on and says, Wow! The world doesn't look on and tongue speaking and say, Wow! The world doesn't get caught up in signs and wonders and miracles and songs and stuff. Maybe superficially for a moment they do. But what speaks to the world is when loveless people like you and I become lovely and love one another. When West African and East African can shake hands and not laugh at one another. When American cousins and English cousins can look each other in the eye and share the gospel. Racism is not part of the church because God's love is there. Sexism isn't part of God's church because love is there. 
Arrogance shouldn't be there because love is there. Pride should be there because love is there. All the things that spoil the church, the antidote is love. And what have we done? We put God in a big fluffy cloud and said, God is love. When in reality, the Holy Spirit has put God's love into our hearts. He has poured it out. And as he's poured it out into our hearts, it should be pouring out into our lives. God's love for us should reflect out in how we love one another. And as we read the the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, okay, just as I have loved you. How did Christ love you? He died for you. That's a high standard. How can you, how can I love my brother and sister like Christ loved the church? How can I do that, friends? You can. Because you've been given a spirit, a gift, a saving gift from the Holy Spirit, which is love. God's love has been poured out into your heart. And we need to ask the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to focus on that love, to grow in that love, to wonder in God's love for us, to delight in Christ's love in our salvation, to wonder in that gift of love that's been given to us by the Holy Spirit. You see, love is the more excellent way. Love is the way that a church will be united. And love is the way that the spiritual gifts will be used correctly. Love is the way that a communion service will be held appropriately. Love is the way that when one person is doing something out of love for them, you come alongside and help them. The problems of the book of Corinthians are solved by this more excellent way. The problems and the challenges of LPC can be solved by this more excellent way. And we can say, okay, what does this more excellent way look like? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And God willing, next week we will look into that more excellent way in more detail. Amen. Heavenly Father, please help us now to, to take a moment. And may you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, apply your word to each of our lives.